Alhamdulillah, tonight is the 4th of December in the year 2023. And Alhamdulillah, we moved on to the 32nd night that we went through the illustrious and blessed life of the eminent companion Sayyidina Abu Hurairah and I spent a few sessions when I mentioned his blessed name during the campaigns and then I mentioned that during the battle of Mu'tah he left the battlefield but he returned to the Prophet and then I mentioned some of the rulings with regards to the mud but then I mentioned that he never made the same mistake again and then I mentioned in brief a report where he remained steadfast on Rebat, guarding from the attack of the enemies. And then he mentioned an amazing report in which our beloved Messenger said, Standing guard for one hour in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is better than praying all night on the night of Qadr before the black stone. SubhanAllah. They called him Behaki ibn Hiban Sayyid Tarqib. And then I mentioned another report which confirmed this, in which our beloved messenger said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Allah unabbi'ukum laylatan aftala min laylatil qadr. Shall I not inform you of the night that is even more excellent than the night of qadr? Harisan fi ardi khawfin the one in which a God keeps vigil at a fearful place, such where he might not be able to return to his family. This is recorded in Hakim in his Mustadrak, who states Sahih to the criteria of Bukhari, Tarheem number 959. So if you take it literally, Rebat taking the reports, is certainly greater than the night of Qadr. So what do we know about the night of Qadr? The Quran says, It is better than a thousand months. So it's not equal, it's better. So that's roughly 83 years. It's greater than 83, 83 years of worship that one night. So combining the reports, if you God do rebat in the path of Allah for an hour, this is better now it's important to highlight better. So we don't know exactly how much. Praying all night on the night of Qadr before the black stone. So if you are praying around the Kaaba, it multiplies more than a hundred thousand. If it's the night of Qadr, it's Ramadan. So that then multiplies a further thousand times, making it ten million. And if you're standing God in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows exactly how much greater it is. So note, the one hour guarding in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is truly mind-boggling. And like I mentioned of him yesterday, this is great glad tidings to our brothers and sisters who are now going through the troubles in the blessed land of Gaza. For over seven decades, they've been oppressed. 
both they are steadfastly doing the ribat so what rewards they are acquiring only allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows and this is leaving aside that they are blessed with martyrdom at the end of it so note again this is certainly applicable to those blessed souls in that blessed land may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep them steadfast amen so abu harir radiyallahu he was acquiring this great virtue it is also recorded in hafiz ibn asakir in his tarikh dimishq that a few short years later during the earliest phase of sayyidina umar's glorious khalifat radiyallahu sayyidina abu harir radiyallahu had also participated in the fateful encounter at yarmouk against the formidable romans where the believers who were 40000 strong had to face a mammoth byzantine force of around 150000 so note in the battle of mu'tah there was 200000 and there was only 3000 believers so it's 66 67 to 1 in the battle of yarmouk the odds were slightly less but heavily in favor of the unbelievers they had 150000 or so Uh, soldiers as compared to 40000 one of them was abu harir radiyallahu so what actually happened in the battle of yarmouk so in summary you can sum it up as follows during the defensive phase lasting four days every offensive blow by khalid radiyallahu had been a limited tactical maneuver to restore his defensive balance then only when it was certain that the romans were badly hurt and no longer of fighting offensively did he finally launch his counter offensive so basically the battle of yarmouk lasted 6 days for 4 days khalid who was the commander in chief khalid bin walid radiyallahu he was just soaking up the blows of the romans soaking their blows up so they were trying their best to break the muslims but in the four days they did not break the muslims when khalid realized now that they had lost heart he finally launched his counter offensive it is known that the believers lost 4000 men in this encounter roughly one tenth of its entire force whilst those who were not wounded were very few indeed According to Tabari in his Tarikh, Volume 3, page 75, Hafiz Baladuri in his Futuh al-Buldan, page 141, it mentions that the Roman casualties were around 70,000, i.e. around half their entire force. Thus, another endless startling fight for every believing soul that was lost, 17 to 18 Romans had to pay with this. So, Yermuk, was the most disastrous defeat ever suffered by the eastern roman empire it spelled the end of roman rule in asham so this is a very decisive encounter it was a serious encounter and the romans threw everything at the muslims they should have obviously defeated the muslims in terms of number but of course allah taala was helping the believers and when they lost that battle the eastern roman empire collapsed The following month the Roman emperor Heraclius also departed from Antioch and traveled by land route to Constantinople the capital of the Western Roman Empire on arrival at the border between Syria and what was known to the Muslims as Rome he looked back at Sham 
With a grieving heart, he said, Farewell to you, O Sham. Farewell from the one who departs. Never again shall the Romans return to you except in fear. Oh, what a fine land I leave to the enemy. This is in Tabari, it is Tariq, volume 3, page 100. Hafiz Badazuri, it is Futuh al Buldan, page 142. So, Heraclius realized that the Eastern Roman Empire had now been lost. And he grieved. Why? Because this was the jewel in the crown. Sham, Palestine, Jerusalem, all the holy lands were there. And why is this very touching? Because just a few years earlier, who had he faced on the field of Mu'ta? Khalid bin Walid. So a few short years later, Khalid finished him off. So this was a sign from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He should have learned from the first encounter, but he didn't. His, his people twisted his arm and they lost the empire. If only, like I mentioned, just a few short years earlier, the Roman hierarchy had reacted favorably to the letter, which was sent to them by no other than our beloved messenger himself, and which Heraclius had informed them to do just that. But alas, they ignored his earnest plea in their filthy pride. Thus such inevitably was now their ignoble fate. This is very famous. The letter of the Prophet was sent, inviting Heraclius to Islam. And he knew that he was the Prophet. The problem was, the people under him, who were the priests and hierarchy, they refused to believe. So what he actually told them was first, he said, if you want this land to remain with you, respond favorably to this letter. So there was a hue and cry. The you know the patriarchs they started thinking, look, he's betrayed us. Our emperor's betrayed us. So then what happened was Heraclius calmed them. He goes, I was only testing you. I see that you are firm on our faith. So then they went back to normal. They thought it was a test, but in actual fact, Heraclius knew that this was disastrous. So what happened? Just a few short years after that letter was given, he's lost the Eastern Empire. And he was grieving over that. Did he embrace Islam? No, he didn't. Right? He didn't embrace Islam. The Prophet actually said, when somebody had informed him that, you know, that he was thinking, or maybe he's embraced Islam, because he hasn't. He's lying. He's doing it to save his kingdom. So we know he didn't embrace Islam. So what destroyed Heraclius? was his authority. So look how interesting, certain things always destroy people. One is authority, one is pride, one is family. So these are lessons, right? You know, you know, why do people refuse to accept the truth? It's not just because they're stupid. Sometimes they know deep down is the truth, but there's other motives which cause their destruction. And what's interesting, he didn't read the letter carefully. When Rasulullah sent the letter to him, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said to him, enter Islam and you will be safe. And he said it in a you know, very eloquent manner, the Prophet So the Prophet was hinting to him, no harm's going to come to you. He didn't see it. Shaitan blinded him to that. <laughs> Meaning he would have, you know, the empire would have stood and he would have become Muslim. And who knows how many people would have, you know, he would have saved their lives. All those people who died on the battlefield. Heraclius is to blame. <laughs> you know, subhanAllah. I don't feel any pity for him. Why? Because he sent forces against the Muslims. <laughs> so if he really had any Iman in his heart, would he have sent these imperial forces to destroy Islam? <laughs> so Abu Huraira was on the field of Yarmouk. 
Did he retreat? No. He was one of the victorious Mujahid. So note, he learnt his lesson. <laughs> Sayyidina Abu Huraira who's yearning for the priceless deed of jihad can be gauged from the following report. Sayyidina Abu Huraira himself said, وَعَدَنَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ غَزْوَةِ الْحِنْدِ رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم promised us jihad with India. Thus, if I was to witness that campaign, I will sacrifice myself and my wealth. If I am killed, I will, I will be amongst afdali shuhada, the best of martyrs. In another word, khayri shuhada. And if I returned, then I will be Abu Huraira till Muharram. Abu Huraira, the freed one, i.e. from sin and the fire. SubhanAllah. So let's look at it. So this is recorded in Nasai, number 3173-4, graded Hassan, Ahmed in his Muslim, number 7128. In the chain is Jabr ibn Abida, who is Majhul. Therefore, they are, it, it has a weakness. Behaki in his Sunan, number 18380, Ibn Abi Asim in his Kitab al-Jihad 2-669, number 291. Sa'id Ibn Mansur in his Sunan, number 2375 or 2-178. So the Hadith is either authentic or it has a slight weakness. Whatever the case is, not from the Prophet. Abu Hanayr is relating radiallahu. So he said, Rasulullah promised us wa'ad, a jihad with India. So look what Abu Hanayr has looked for that deed now. He goes, if I am going to witness that campaign, if a call is made to do jihad in India, I will sacrifice myself and my wealth. Then he said, if I am martyred, I will be amongst the best of martyrs. Afdalish shuhada, khayrish shuhada. And if I return, I will be free. Meaning free from sin, free from the fire. In a similar report, confirming this, Sayyidina Thawban radiyallahu relates that our beloved messenger said sallallahu alayhi wa sallam there will be two groups from my ummah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has saved them from the fire of hell firstly the group that will invade India and secondly the one that will support Isa ibn Maryam in his second coming alayhi salatu wa sallam this is in Bukhari in his tariq number 1747 or 6-72 Nasai, number 3175, graded Hassan, Ahmed in his Musnad, number 21890, or 5-278, Tabarani in his Ausat, number 6741, Behaki in his Sunan, number 18381, and Shaykh al-Bani authenticated it in As-Sahihah, number 1934. So let's look at this. So the Prophet in this authentic hadith, he said, two groups of my ummah they will not go to the fire. They're protected. The first is the one that will, it will you know, be the first to do jihad in India. And the second will support Jesus Christ in his second coming. So the scholars point out something here. Because the wording indicates that India comes first. Then Jesus Christ comes late. And that's happened. Because the jihad in India did take place before the coming of Christ. And that's happened already. Yes. Note that Imam Nasai, who related this hadith, he passed away in 302 AH and thus compiled this sunnah a hundred years before Sultan Mahmud Ghaznawi 
liberation of India in the year 392 AH. So let's look at this. So this hadith, which is Sahih, recorded by Imam Nasai. Imam Nasai in his time, he had not witnessed this. So the one who's recording the hadith, even for him is Iman. He's thinking, no, the Prophet said it, it's going to happen. A hundred years, Imam Nasai passed away, a hundred years, Sultan Mahmud Ghaznawi, he liberated India in the year 392 AH. So 90 years after, Imam Nasai passed away. So this shows that it's a clear prophecy. Subhanallah, within a few centuries, the whole of India was under Islamic rule. How? In the year 711, Christian era, thus less than a century after Rasulullah left the world, sinned, was conquered, became an outpost for the Muslims. Then with the expeditions between 977 or 1027 Christian era, over three centuries after Rasulullah's passing, by the gallant and noble Mahmud Ghaznawi, who passed away at the age of 59 and is buried in Afghanistan, in which now the whole of the Punjab was taken. Indeed, Mahmud Ghaznawi ruled the whole of Afghanistan, Pakistan, most of Iran, and parts of Northwest India. So this is putting it very, very simply. So what's happening? It slowly fell to the Muslims over the centuries. Mm. Eventually, it became complete. Mm. There was the rule of Islam there, completely in India. And of course, now it's gone back to uh, the Hindus. Mm. Right? So, the Prophet predicted that, sallallahu alayhi wa But now this leaves a question. Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa promised that the group that will invade India are free from the fire. Mm. Is that only talking about the first batch of Muslims who had a crack at India? Or is it talking about the jihad that is continuous there? So Mawlana Muhammad Rafi, Rahmatullah he elucidated, he's the brother of Mufti Taki Uthmani. He said, the first jihad waged in India was in the first century of the Hijrah by Muhammad ibn Qasim, Rahmatullah his army included some companions, but mostly Tabi'i. So this was the first batch. Who did they consist of? They consisted mostly of Tabi'i. There were some Sahaba there as well. The commander was Muhammad ibn Qasim. Who's this? He was the nephew of Hajjaj bin Yusuf. So Hajjaj bin Yusuf's nephew has the honor of bringing Islam to India. And what's interesting, companions were under him, radiyallahu ta'ala anhum, and tabi'in. So definitely, they are mentioned by the Prophet, these were the honored group. But then the Shaykh said, the believers throughout the ages have waged jihad against the unbelievers in India at different times after that. I, most prominently now the jihad of the believers against the Indian authorities, who are trying to take Kashmir. The question arises whether this Sahih Hadith praises only the first jihad or includes all those that have followed and will follow. The words of the Hadith are not restricted but are general 
and the great glad tidings of the hadith, those include the jihad that have been waged and will be waged in the future against the unbelievers of India. Subhanallah. And he said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. So again, look at these amazing things the Prophet's uttering. If the interpretation of the Shaykh is correct, that means that something's going to be happening in India. And it's going to be a prolonged jihad there. Otherwise, the hadith doesn't really make any real sense. Continuous jihad, Kashmir, disputed. So, did the, was the Prophet talking about Kashmir? You can interpret it to mean that. So, those noble mujahids who are keeping that land within the Muslims' authority, they are certainly in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. you got a direct text of the Prophet And they are free from the fire. According to the understanding of the hadith. So think about that. If you can enroll with that, you know, that's enough for you to secure you from the fire. And this is why you'll notice a lot of the mujahids go there to enroll there. From Afghanistan, from Central Asia, they're going to that part of the world. Why? Because they know the hadith of the Prophet so, why is this fascinating? When the Prophet uttered these words, what really was in Muslim hands at the time? Just some part of the Arabian Peninsula. The superpowers, there was the Persian superpower, there was the Roman superpower. He's talking about India. So really, when he's uttering these words, it was pure Iman. They were thinking, the Prophet said it, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. We're looking back. So by looking back, we understand all these things have taken place. But always bear in mind that the Prophet said it well, well before these things occurred. And not one thing that left his blessed lips proved to be untrue. <laughs> but then he says, the second group will support Isa ibn Maryam. <laughs> so when Jesus Christ descends a second time, anybody who supports him is free from the fire. <laughs> in fact, there's a touching report in Sayyid Muslim where the Prophet said, that Jesus Christ will wipe the, the dust from the foreheads of the Mujahids and he will tell them their places in paradise. So there'll be people guaranteed paradise again. Imagine they'll be alive and they'll be guaranteed paradise by the words of uh, Isa ibn Maryam So why have I mentioned this here? Because what did Abu Huraira say? He yearned for that. But India wasn't even on the radar then. You understand? That's what hurt him. He was, you know, he wanted it to happen. He thought, you know, it's going to happen, but I want to enlist because I will give my life, my wealth to join that. But he didn't live till that time. So notice he had such a love for that deed of jihad, which is not often mentioned about Sayyidina Abu Huraira. People say, oh, he was a man of letters. Was he, mashallah? Right? A man of letters with tights on, right? You know, he was a mujahid. But, you know, people just only mentioned little things about these great companions. And not they were complete. They weren't weak in areas, right? They weren't strong in zikr, weak in this. They were solid every department. And if there was a failing on their part, they were the first to admit it. They put their hands up. I shouldn't have left the field of Mu'ta. But then he proved himself on the field of Yarmouk against Heraclius again. <laughs> because this time I'm not going to uh, move away. And this is why on the field of Yarmouk, there was 100 Badris. <laughs> So the Romans, they should, they should have known better. They've taken on the companions of the greatest rank. And that statistic speaks volumes. One Muslim life, 17, 18 Romans had to pay for this. Think about that. And they lost, you know, on the field of Yermuk.
Sola mentioned again today was where the great name of Sayyidina Abu Hurairah who was mentioned on the field of battle and his yearning to also be enlisted amongst Uddah. And don't forget, the Prophet said, the intention of the believer is greater than his deed. This hadith is in Tabarani, it has a weakness, but the meaning is true. So he had full intention of doing jihad, so he will get the reward. The Prophet also said that those who aspire for martyrdom and die without getting martyred, they will be raised with the martyrs. This is in Sayyid Muslim. Why? Because the intention is the most important thing. So if you want to be martyred, but you don't get martyred, you will still be raised with them. You're not a martyr, but you're with them because of your desire to be with them. And who's first on that list? The soul of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ali bin Walid, who wasn't martyred. Are there any questions?